0: Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it weird. You made it weird. You made it weird. Oh yeah. You made it weird. You made it weird. <laughs> yes, you did. You made it, made it oh, yeah. Yeah. you made it weird. You made it weird with <laughs> weird. Pete Holmes. You made it weird. Yes, you did.
1: What's happening, weirdos? This is a, uh, a dream come true episode. An amazing episode for me. Just uh, put me in a good mood. For about a week. I mean, I still feel fantastic after recording it. Such a a privilege and a delight to talk to uh, Brian Green, theoretical physicist, string theorist, uh, just an overall amazing person. I'm so glad he uh, took the time while he was out here in L.A. to sit down with us and make it weird. Um, Let's really get into this without further ado. Pete Holmes Show is on after Conan, midnight on TBS. Please check it out. Also go to PeteHolmes.com, For clips, anything you might want to see, or YouTube, uh, slash Pete Holmes, and YouMadeItWeird.com for t-shirts, stickers, all that sort of stuff. Our sponsor today is uh, Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, or online store. Squarespace is constantly updating their platform with new features, new designs, and more support. They have beautiful designs for you to start with and tons of style options for you to adjust so you can create... Your own space online for real. Squarespace takes care of hosting, SEO, and even makes sure your site automatically looks great on any device. It's incredibly easy to use, but if you want some help, Squarespace has an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And it all starts at just $8 a month and includes a domain name if you sign up for a year. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com slash weird. All right, everybody. Enjoy Brian Green. he blew my mind every three seconds, pretty much. Th- this is it. This is, this is incredible. You know what I mean? I got it. <laughs> you know that, uh... Mar- Mar- I always get her name wrong. Yeah, Majosevich, the uh, conceptual artist in New York, sat across from Abramovich. People.
0: Abramovich! Yeah. What did I say? Milosevic. Who's that, a composer? That, yeah, that was like the, uh... Serbia or something.
1: Uh, I was like, please don't be a fascist or something. <laughs> I really don't want to open by <laughs> praising a fascist, but I really like that thing—the idea of the energy yep. b- between two people—not to freak you out. I was just watching your uh, your TEDs and everything, man. Uh, yeah. A friend of mine actually interviewed you a while ago, David Vanderveen. Do you remember? He kind of a surfer it, does, of it rings a bell. I don't mean here to, on but, the uh, West Coast, or yeah, that? on the West yeah, Coast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, really brilliant guy, and he he turned me on to you. And you uh those sorts of ideas always come up on the show. Ideas that I have a really hard time articulating. But we'll we'll get to that. Yeah, I'm not sure. just gonna put you on the spot and, and uh, ask you to lecture us, although I, I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just want this to be a wonderful uh free time. Sure. I want you to feel free to get as weird as you want. I I have to think that when you're doing something like a TED talk, you, you have to keep it somewhat respectable. Yeah, I think that's right. You know what <laughs> like you made some joke in one of your TED talks about uh uh, a dimension being so small that there'd be little green people. And you're yes. like, that's one of the theories of string theory. And I was like, cool. And then you're like, no, I'm just kidding. And I was like, <laughs> come on, Brian. Why not? Let, let's play the what, what if game.
0: Because that seems to be. That was a long time ago, yeah. Yeah,
1: that that seemed like an old one. Yeah. Based on
0: the laptop. 2005.
1: Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That seems like the future, 2005, yeah. and here we are uh, almost Looking 10 years back later. at it, yeah. Well, you see the laptop in the background, and you're like, and I started to think of it how... It wasn't
0: even just a laptop. I'm going to tell you what was going on there. That, <laughs> was, a was... V8, that was a VHS tape. That it I was... was? Yes. There was string theory back with VH- <laughs> theory
1: VHS tapes. <laughs> I can't believe we knew everything we knew about some atomic stuff, and again, we'll get to that uh, when we were still watching V. We still yeah. had to rewind the tape, and yeah. you knew the tape was made of quartz. But you know
0: what? The tape was the most reliable approach. You think so? It doesn't crash. No crash. You hit the play button and it just goes. It would sometimes... so in a way I miss it because you know <laughs> the computer crashes. Yep. You know you lose the file. Yep. That VHS tape never ever failed me.
1: Yeah, I I so. know what you're saying. Yeah. And, and, it, and but it's... it looked
0: like crap. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: it it was tangible yeah. too. Right. You know what I mean? Like I I'm 35. And I'm now just like I work on a TV show and we upload the files to Dropbox. Yeah. And that is exactly what old people don't like, which is the idea of computers doing things without our consent. And that is what more and more we're yeah. being inducted into is like, it's OK, it's on the cloud. Like when I go on my iPad and there's a file that I never downloaded onto that iPad, it was just doing it literally while I was asleep that's what keeps old people on yep, typewriters, yep, yep. right?
0: No, I hear you. I hear you. It keeps me on typewriters. <laughs> Are you, you're not a technophile, N- though. I mean, you're into No, it. no, no. I like to catch up about 10 years behind, though. That's is that right? Really, yeah, I only got a cell phone you know, a handful of years ago, I think. So.
1: Well, I feel like you, you yeah. go to all these TED Talks and you get to go, right? Yeah. That must be a hoot. Yeah, you, you, there's some pretty cool
0: stuff that happens out but there. But are those
1: know. the talks where you know you get into some real Illuminati stuff and they're like, by the way, the cell phones are killing everybody. Stay away from
0: that. <laughs> you know, not much. not much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but they're
0: probably right. <laughs> you know, we're going to learn this no, one day.
1: No, that is something that's come up on the show many times. I'd love to yeah. put it to you is that when they make the Mad Men, like we look at and they're like oh they're all smoking and they're drinking in the day and it's crazy uh, they got the the dry cleaning bag over the child's head and we didn't know we didn't know we didn't know the things we don't know is going to be just monumental well it's
0: frightening to think that that pattern could repeat itself right but on the other hand we know so much more about the fundamental laws of physics the structure of the brain and how it can react to the mm-hmm. electromagnetic fields, that many of the things that people are afraid of pretty clearly have no basis in reality. You think so? Even yeah. like the cell phones yeah, rotting our brains? That's hard for me to believe that it's going to have the kind of impact that people are suggesting. <laughs> but, you know, who knows, right? And, and it's better be safe than sorry, right? I mean, be conservative in these things if it, sure. if it isn't difficult to do. Um, but, you know, the whole thing about, you know, vaccinations and kids, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of nonsense. You mean not probably. vaccinating? Yeah, not vaccinating for fear yeah. that the vaccinations were going to call autism and things of that sort. It's funny that you, you know. say that
1: because uh, I, I like... This, this show is called You Made It Weird, and I love really uh, doing thought experiments. I have a big green light philosophy when people come on the show, and I kind of like going wherever we are. It's not a debate show is, right. is what I mean. We have magicians on, and I don't try and, like, break down their tricks. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, I, I like to go with them. And then, like, some of my fans, and, and I think they mean it in a loving way, sometimes they're worried about me because they think I'm going to go the way of Jenny McCarthy and the, like, not vaccinating and all that sort right. of stuff just because I can get a little bit nutty.
0: There needs to be some... Well, here's the thing. I mean, there are facts in the world, right? So we're living through an age where social media is democratizing everything. Everybody has a voice. Everybody has an opinion, a point of view. And I think that's a great thing. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there are certain aspects of reality that are not open to discussion. They're not open <laughs> to opinion. Man, you know, I mean, the laws of physics, as we understand them, I'm not saying that they are written in stone. We right. will go beyond them in years to come. But Einstein's general theory of relativity, the special theory of relativity, quantum mechanics, quantum field theory, these are fixtures of our understanding of reality and it's not a matter of discussion right but you you you're such a
1: trippy dude in the sense that you have looked at some like now somewhat forgotten astronomers for example and believe me my my knowledge of you is very very shallow so please <laughs> inform me and and don't let me just round my mouth i'm a big yapper mm-hmm. but i'm saying like you have looked at some people and said in in one of the talks i saw these people were asking the right, wrong questions yes now you don't think i i'm with you You don't think there's a chance we'll say Einstein was asking? So so again, it's not that
0: I'm saying that there isn't a place for debate and discussion on some aspects of our understanding and some aspects of our speculation. Mm. So you're absolutely right. You know, the reference that you are making is something relevant to the idea that there might be other universes, Mm -hmm. which is a highly controversial, (laughs) very much open to debate issue. But I'm referring to the fact that, for instance, I... I'm teaching right now an online course on special relativity. And special relativity has been around <laughs> since too. 1905. Well, you should, you should join in. Take the course, man. Take the course. But my point is – should merge. But here's the thing. So in this online course, there's a discussion forum. Where people can ask questions, you know, the usual thing, chime in with their opinion on things. And when this f- course first started, it was only about a month ago, you know, people were having a very various discussions about like time dilation or length contract. I can't remember the details, but I figured it would be fun for me to chime in. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm teaching the course yeah, after all. I understand So so I chime in with how it how it all works. And someone wrote back, and they said, "You know, well, we're going to have to agree to disagree on this." And and I was like, well, "That's such a curious response, man." Because on that point, there's no agreeing to disagree. Right. This is how special relativity actually right. works. So this notion of sort of an opinion and you can lay out, you know, your perspective. There are places for that, but there are also places where that just is not applicable. And that's what turns you on, right? I mean, yeah, no, that's. Math. That That's the beauty Numbers. of the subject. Yeah, the beauty of the subject is I don't care what part of the world you come from. I don't care what your fundamental beliefs about whatever deep issue of the cosmos we're talking about. If you are following our understanding of reality correctly, and if you're doing your equations and the analysis according to the rules of mathematics, then you're going to get the same answer regardless of where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. And it's that wonder that beauty that that immutable quality Mm. of how the world works (laughs) that is this this wonderful anchor that we can rely and we can trust and therefore then when we start to speculate around it we're not going off in some wild flight of fancy right we're tethered to this deep understanding and that is what allows us to have some confidence to stray a little bit further away because we know that there is a home base yes and you like straying well, straying is what the creative aspect of, of science is all
1: about. But I, And the artistic, I would say, too. You say creative. I would agree. No, but I, I, think I use artist. the
0: same language because when you're doing mathematics and when you're trying to apply that mathematics to reality, there are so many directions <laughs> to go. And it does take a kind of artist sensibility yes. to say, hey, that one feels right. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean it's correct. And the best physicists are the one that have a, an intuition, that artist sensibility that leads them into the right Mm -hmm. direction yeah but with so many possibilities to explore and one finite lifetime to do it in you have to have intuition guiding you but then you're the thing inside
1: of the thing analyzing the thing what was
0: the thing there the
1: the thing (laughs) is the thing is reality yes and you're brian green and you're using your intuition given to you by this reality yes
0: to follow the interpretation of the reality i agree it is very self-referential and there's a real possibility that <laughs> that, 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 that we're fooling ourselves, yeah. right? You could say, look, you're talking about some objective notion of reality, but how can there really be such a thing that we have access to since it's filtered through our eyes and our brains? Right. And this physical thing, which itself, as you point out, is itself governed by the very laws that we're trying to understand. So can we break out of it mm-hmm. or can you find truth even when you're embedded within it? And and my belief it is the latter. You think you can? Yeah, I think you can. And um, again, it's the only way that you can be a physicist. Mm. If you don't buy into that notion, then you'd constantly be at sea. You'd constantly be saying, well, how can I trust anything? Because I'm filtering it all through the very kinds of particles and laws and interactions that I'm trying to understand. That is a limitation clearly, mm-hmm. and if you're going to be a physicist, you have to buy into the fact that that limitation may not be a barrier mm. to finding ultimate truth. That sounds like it. When you boil it down, though, and you love boiling things
1: down, that that sort of belief system uh, seems like it at the at the subatomic level is a choice. At some point, you're choosing to go. I can't be sure, but I'm going to go with the thesis that, yes. that it is okay to be inside of the thing.
0: But it's a pretty. It's a pretty. A modest choice in the sense that (laughs) science has proven itself able to make predictions, precise predictions about the world for well over, you know, a few hundred years now. I mean, Isaac Newton, when he wrote down F equals MA, regardless of if you remember that equation from high school or not, he was able to use that equation to predict the motion of the planets, motion of the moon, motion of an object that you throw How spectacular is it that a dude in the late 1600s can do some calculations on a piece of paper and look out into the night sky and the planet is where the mathematical equations say that it should be? When you have that experience, you have a sense of I am looking at truth. I am not somehow limited by the fact that my brain is governed by these very same laws and I'm right. not able to step outside of reality. And then Einstein comes along and does it with even greater finesse. And then quantum theory comes along. And right now we can make calculations about electrons, these little tiny particles. We can make calculations using a structure called quantum field theory. It's a mathematical approach. And we can make calculations that provide us a prediction for the magnetic properties of an electron down to 10 decimal places. Mm. We then do an experiment and decimal place by decimal, digit by digit experiment and theoretical calculation agree. How can you not feel that you are looking... Truth right in the eye when you have that kind of agreement.
1: <laughs> Fucking gay, I love that so so much. I, I'm such like a faith based person, and I'm a. I love talking about trans rationality. It's something I talk a lot, about a lot on the show. So this is a perspective that I think people have been yearning for. <laughs> and, and, and me too. I'm, I'm right. not saying that's the only way. This this does it for me as well. When you say that theory uh, with electrons, yes. are you trying to predict the the pattern, the movement of an electron?
0: The movement broadly speaking, but. An electron has certain intrinsic properties, right? It has heft, it's mass, it has charge, electric charge. It also has magnetic properties, just like a child's toy magnet. You know, we have, we know that it can attract other pieces of metal. We can calculate the strength with which it can pull a piece of metal right. toward it. Mm. An electron, in a similar way, has a magnetic field associated with it, just like that child's magnet. And we're calculating that particular feature, among others. But I focus on that one because it's the most precise agreement between theory and observation that our species has ever achieved yeah and and that's <laughs> what allows us to Go to bed at night and feel like we're doing something real, not just on some theoretical not flight of fancy. Yeah, I, I actually, and it's not faith. You yeah. know, you could say, well, somehow you are I'm not going faith. faith, by the way.
1: Right. I was actually talking to uh, an editor at the New Yorker that didn't that dismissed all of this, and he was like, it just sounds like faith. It just yeah. sounds like a religion.
0: Yeah, well, that kind of perspective, I think, really is flattened by the arguments that I'm giving here. <laughs> you <know>. um, because... <laughs> You know faith, by definition, is something that that there is no even a yardstick of proof associated with it you don 't look for that when it comes to faith mm. by definition, Faith is something you just take in mm-hmm. as some kind of axiomatic truth that 's just how things are mm-hmm. We physicists we don't like that axiomatic truth notion because we're constantly taking our theories and taking a sledgehammer to them, slamming them and see whether they can withstand that kind of assault. Mm -hmm. And the assault comes from experiment and observation. (laughs) And when experiment and observation confirm the theoretical calculations, we're like, hey, there it is. You don't need faith. We have evidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's that evidence that convinces us that Uh, we're on the right track.
1: Yeah, that's so great. Now, now if I say a couple words that you know... Please don't uh, think I know how to speak your language. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm in South sure. America, and I'm like, donde esta la biblioteca? And then you give me this big answer. So please understand you're talking to someone who didn't take physics in high school. Really? You didn't
0: take it in high school? I wish. They didn't require you to?
1: Uh, it was optional. The seniors didn't right? have to Is take physics. Right? Wow. Uh, good high school. Hmm. Uh, Lexington High School. I, uh, you're, you're, Lexington, Mass? You went to Harvard. So Seriously? Wow. I went to Cambridge Friends School, very close to Harvard wow. for grade school. And then I in Lexington, Mass. Very good school. Didn't have to take it. Hmm. It might have been my credits or whatever, but I didn't. Take it. right but uh so uh I, I know you have kids so i was like Gee, right i i want you to be intellectually stimulated by the conversation <laughs> i really don't want you to be bored and and if you start feeling that way just tell me we'll go no, somewhere no, we're good. we're good we're but good. Uh, i also uh would like to ask you questions even though i might yeah. not understand the answers so the thing one of the things i know about electrons uh, is that they i thought that was one of the things when we start getting to the violation of physical uh laws like, they'll move right. around. You can dissect them and rotate one, and it'll rotate across
0: the country the same way. Yeah, that's way. quantum entanglement. And, and, and the thing to bear in mind is... All of the weird features that you are alluding to, and there's a whole long list. Like teleporting. Teleporting is one of them. Quantum entanglement, which you're referring to. You you do an experiment on a particle in New York, and it somehow affects a particle in Los Angeles instantaneously. Right. The idea that an electron is a particle and a wave. The electron, roughly speaking, can be in more (laughs) than one place at the same time. All of these very bizarre features, they in no way, shape, or form represent a deviation from physical law. Okay. They represent a deviation from the way Isaac Newton thought the world worked back in the late 1600s. Newtonian law. They're a deviation from Newtonian <laughs> law. Exactly. I know but that But quantum word. mechanics <laughs> came along in the 1920s, 1930s, and it gave us a whole new perspective on how the world works. And it was developed because of these weird features of the microscopic world that Newtonian physics could not account for. Sure. So a brilliant generation of physicists, people like Einstein, who kind of got the ball rolling, but others like Niels Bohr, Schrodinger, you know, Pauli, Dirac, all these brilliant minds mm. you know, from the 1920s and 1930s they are the ones who develop quantum physics, and it's a new body of physical law that predicts all of these weird features. Mm-hmm. So we understand all of these weird features in the language of mathematics. So they're not in any way, shape, or form something that is a deviation or something that provides evidence against physics. They yeah. are the heart and soul of the evidence for the quantum nature of reality.
1: Even if they seem random to us?
0: Are you saying it's yeah. predictable? Yeah. So, so there is a randomness. that quantum mechanics brings into our understanding because it tells us that, unlike Isaac Newton, who said, look, you tell me how things are now, and I will tell you exactly how they will be in five minutes Mm -hmm. because the laws of physics allow us to evolve the state of affairs forward in time or even backward in time. Quantum theory says that's the wrong perspective on reality. It says the best you can ever do in any experiment is predict the probability, the likelihood of getting one outcome or another. But we can predict which of those outcomes is more or less likely. So while there's a random quality, you don't know how any given experiment is going to turn out. I can tell you, yeah, it's more likely the electron is going to be in New York, less likely it's going to be on the moon, far less likely that it's going to be out there in the Andromeda galaxy. And that. May sound still rough and fuzzy, mm-hmm. but we can make very detailed predictions. 72% probability the electron will be here, mm-hmm. 19% chance over there, 2% chance no over way, there. Really. And then we do the experiment 100 times, and 78 of the 100 times, it is where the math said it should be 78% probability. Two times out of 100, it's where the math said <laughs> that it'd be 2% probability. That's why we believe these ideas.
1: I See, I wouldn't have skipped physics. I'm not, say, I'm not shitting on my teachers. I'm honestly not. There's just like a lot of things about knowledge that I don't think were explained to me. Mm. Uh, or maybe I wasn't able to hear them. I'm sure my uh, professors or my teachers in high school maybe even gave some sort of speech at the beginning of math class and, and talked about why math excited them. But maybe yeah. I wasn't ready to absorb it. I right, was, I was right. too young. But now, yeah. here I am electing to, you know, well, I'm thrilled to talk to you well, and gotta, it's really lighting well, up my Well, brain. I got to
0: agree that, you know, it's a funny thing. I, I've often reflected on the fact that I don't think I learned very much in the classroom itself. Mm. So the classroom experience, and I'm talking even in college and graduate school, that just kind of introduced me to the ideas. But the real learning process was on my own. It was a dress rehearsal. In a sense, it was. So I would hear these ideas. I couldn't quite take it in on the fly because the ideas are hard and difficult. And I'd go home and it would be through the textbooks. It would be through solving the problems. It Mm. would be really thinking hard about these ideas in the library. (laughs) That's where the learning process happened. Because
1: I think there's something about me telling you to even eat a new type of fruit you know what I mean? And then you electing to go and try and find that fruit. Right. It, it's be, a better example would be like if there was some sort of lifestyle that was making me happier. If I then gave you the book or gave you the video or gave you, I, I one time gave a friend an iPod full of these motivational talks that I found very inspirational. As a family member, I was like, here you go. And of course you didn't listen to them. Everybody knows that story right, because there's right. something about opening the door right. yourself. Right. Right?
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And, and again, you know, I think the the amazing thing about education going to the future is that the power of the internet will allow people to come to a subject when they are ready for it yeah. when they want to really open the door when they and they can do it on their own time mm. they can do it at their own pace that's right you know and um you know so the stuff that I, this course that i was talking about has been an eye-opener for me because i've got people from around the world writing to me saying i'm finally getting it and i 'm doing it at a pace that makes sense to me, and mm-hmm. when you say something in the, in the in the lecture and i don 't get it, I go back and I listen to it again mm-hmm. and I think that 's supposed gone about. forever yeah, that 's right gone forever, right you know I remember so many times being in in the classroom, scribbling mm-hmm. you know rapidly, trying to take down the words of the sage in the front of the yeah. room yeah. and not even thinking about it. I was just basically a conduit. yeah the words came in, and I was writing them down so that they 'd be there later for me to then. On Maybe my own time really understand.
1: I heard uh, tell of professors that would write with one hand and erase with the yeah, other hand, right, just to make it that yeah. tense environment. But yeah. well, you're not majoring in note taking. Yeah,
0: right, exactly.
1: <laughs> right, right, exactly. You're, yeah. you're trying to learn about physics. Right,
0: and and, <laughs> and I think that's where the power of the digital realm is going to change everything.
1: Right. Well, that's what's fascinating is that I just today uh, I like to know a good as much as I can, but then also have uh, room for curiosity. So I watched uh, two back to back talks of yours. Very, but I sat down with. My my TV, not even the computer, the TV, right. used YouTube, watched it instantly. If it took two seconds, I would have complained and, and watched it and absorbed it. And then, whoops, and then people can listen to this. I, yeah, I, right, I think that's super, right, super right, cool. Right. Can you take me back? One of the things that struck me, the way that this is so engaging to me now, when did it start really becoming engaging to you? And he, I'm going to tell you this story because mine's so bad and so short, is that I remember being a kid, just being the type of person that didn't accept reality People would be like, this is fire. And then a science person later would tell me what fire was, what elements or what what chemicals were reacting. And I was like, but you're still not telling me what fire was. Like a dissatisfaction with like a base sort of thing. Where did that curiosity and you being like, how many times can we split this so far that we're actually getting to quarks and then to strings, if you want to? Yeah, for me, it didn't really start
0: that way. For me, it started with a fascination with numbers. The more the anchor. Yeah, it really was a fascination with the mathematics, independent of any understanding. When I was, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, that the mathematics had any bearing on our understanding of reality. It was just the beauty that you could be set a mathematical problem, a calculation. And regardless of how you went about getting the answer, there was an answer. I love that idea Mm -hmm. that there was an answer that you could shoot for and you could get it. And if you knew what you were doing and did it correctly, that answer would be achieved. Then later on, when I was in high school and I began to finally learn that the mathematics was not just a game, was not just this abstract set of manipulations on a piece of paper, but the math could be used to make predictions for what happened out there, out the window in the real world. Mm Then everything changed. Because now it was like, Holy cow. Mm. In the power of these symbols on a piece of paper, you can actually <laughs> understand stuff. Yes. You don't have to leave your desk and you can understand how the universe is ticking along. Right. And it's like a Harry Potter library, but it's not
1: it's not spells and stuff, it's numbers. And it's you don't equations.
0: have to look it up. It's not as though you're going <laughs> into a book to see the incantation that was laid down by the earlier wizard. Mm -hmm. You could sit there on your own with nothing but the blank piece of paper and your sharpened pencil and an understanding of the equations, and you could derive the universe in principle. Mm. And that idea was so incredibly (laughs) thrilling yeah, but that's sort of what well, propelled me forward.
1: Please uh, forgive a pedestrian question. When you say something like we talk about dark matter being so many light years away, or we talk about uh, a galaxy was unable to form because this is what happens when this type of matter affects this, I understand. You, you, please forgive me, but we have telescopes. We're looking at light. We're looking at these images, and we can see. I've seen them. I follow NASA on yeah. Instagram. Beautiful, colorful things. But you're saying that it's the math that is applied to the things we're looking at. I'm just waiting for you to be like, and lasers. You know what I mean? Like, I don't get it. <laughs> like, when we're like, when how do we split an electron and rotate lasers? How do we look at that, some sort of laser? Well, you know
0: it is the case that if you were talking to an experimental physicist yeah. or an observational astronomer the language and the focus would be somewhat different than, than mine so those folks really do spend a lot of time in the laboratory with things like lasers with equipment that allows them to actually <laughs> physically manipulate the particles. Yes. What we do as theorists is we don't try to actually go into the lab and do the manipulation ourselves. We try to calculate what would happen if that manipulation was undertaken Mm -hmm. and then the experimental or the observationalist will at times undertake the Process that we analyze mathematically right. to see whether the math and reality agree right. with one another.
1: That reminds me of Kurzweil and how he's uh, theorizing with uh, technology that doesn't yet exist. Is that something you do?
0: Uh, not in that kind of an applied way. So he's you know, a brilliant individual in understanding how to actually build stuff that can do wonderful, amazing things. I'm at the other end of the spectrum, Mm. so the stuff that I do is totally theoretical, and it's unclear at this moment in time whether the bulk of things that I've worked on in my life are even relevant to reality. If they're correct, Mm. and if they're not correct, then the notion of somehow using them to manipulate the world – is completely fanciful because the ideas themselves have no basis in reality. <laughs> so it's a very strange life mm. in, in some ways. You are a wizard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, uh, <laughs> with the difference, the, the, you, know, we, you know, it could very well turn out that by the time I leave this earth, I won't know whether the bulk of things that I've spent my time on have any basis in reality.
1: Like Nostradamus in a sense, yeah. All of his predictions that's were right. way out. of the That's right, that's right. Done.
0: Now we hope, you know, <laughs> um, you know, we hope that even if what we're doing is not correct, that somehow it will be a stepping stone for the next generation mm-hmm. to figure out what the correct description of the fundamental makeup of reality is. Mm-hmm. But you have to be comfortable with uncertainty. If you're going to be a theorist that works at the cutting edge, such as you know, things in string theory and quantum mechanics and quantum gravity and so forth, because the bulk of the time, you don't know if what you're doing is right. Do
1: these theories—I'm I, I, with you on the math. I don't think I can understand the math and I remember when I was in high school I wanted to take debate and I didn't know debate was really the research club you know what I mean I thought it was literally right, right. just trying and, to manipulate be, like, be light, charming right. <laughs> you know what I mean I thought that, that's what debate was I was right. like I can do that I, can, right. I thought it was the bullshit club right. and then like similarly I, I think I'm guilty of thinking something of what you do is a little bit more of that free form being like what if there's something inside of yeah, all,
0: no, all no it, yeah no it's completely different you yeah. know I gotta tell you there's so many times when I've had a student come to my physics class, telling me that they've read one of my books and they love physics and they want to do physics. And then at the end of the class, they're like, whoa, I didn't realize you actually had to do stuff here. I just thought you kind of sit back and have these wonderful ideas and you bullshit around whether or not they may be right. And no, that's not what it is. Everything that we do emerges from rigorous mathematical... Calculations. What a bummer. And, and for many people, it is a bummer. Uh, for us – well, I can even go further. Well, I'll tell you what a please, real, please. real bummer is. You know, many physicists, including me, receive manuscripts from people who spent decades doing research that has no – Connection to anything that we understand, because, for instance, people have read a popularization of mm-hmm. string theory, for instance, right. and they wanted to push the theory further with the popularization being their starting point. Right. Popularizations, I, I try to make you know so clear, are a translation. From the mathematics to a language that's more familiar to the everyday person. That's what I'm
1: seeing on Facebook.
0: Yeah, exactly, right. right? But if you want to actually push the ideas further, you can't use that. You have to go to the actual mathematical underpinnings. That's the right. only way that you can push these ideas forward. Right. So it's always, you know, I, I remember getting a, a manuscript from a guy who told me he'd been in his basement for 20 years, <laughs> you know, and his wife he left had? him. He had. Oh, and, no. And his wife left him, <laughs> oh, and his oh, kid, no. you know because he could feel that he was on the verge of the next breakthrough in understanding and you look at the manuscript and you immediately recognize that it is utter nonsense. Yeah. And that that's, that's painful. That's that's you know, a catastrophe, right. right it's tragic. He could probably sell it in Hollywood though. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean when you look at these things they' they they there's they're kind of all the same Is when, they, right? when they come in? Can you they, tell me a little yeah, bit yeah, they have a lot of geometrical shapes in them. there <laughs> are are numbers. There are numbers that have like you know fifty digits, yeah. And all of these combinations of fifty digit numbers to get other fifty digit numbers. Yeah. And it's all just a waste of time.
1: Stuff that would be like impressive to me. Like if I were a prop guy making a prop book that I think you would be reading, yeah. it would, oh, I'd open with a GMX. Conceivably geometric
0: conceivably. And then fifty yeah.
1: digit numbers you bet your ass. Right. For sure.
0: Yeah. And it's and it's just so sad.
1: But that is the navel gazy sort of philosophical recreational everybody i wouldn't even go that far i would just say
0: those are folks who are just fooling themselves because Ah. i wouldn't want to give philosophy a bad name equating this with that i mean there are some spectacular philosophers who have had a great impact on physics certain areas of physics Mm. typically and i spend time talking to some of these philosophers because they have a clearer sense of the assumptions that you may be making in a calculation, but you don't even realize. Mm. They have a clearer sense of what makes a completely airtight argument. When you when you do calculations, you can think that that's the be-all and end-all, but you have to ultimately tie those calculations to the real world. The symbol on the page has to be aligned with something out there in the world, and you can be fooling yourself without recognizing it, even if you're a professional. Yeah. And some of the philosophers are very good at finding those... Achilles heel and some of the calculations that we do. That's very important right. stuff.
1: I, when I said philosophy, yeah. I meant that even in the recreational Right, okay, too. yeah. What I would consider like camping out and going like, what if well, we're right, in a marble right, 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 and right. the marble's in... Yeah, box Animal box House with
0: the, you know, the the whole universe in a, in a thumbnail. Exactly. Kind of, yeah, but right. people,
1: that really gets people up. People really like talking about that. Right. Or some people really like talking about that. Yep. Can you tell me a philosophy
0: that really kind of turned you around that might be well i wouldn't even frame it in that language what the the philosophy that has guided all of us who do the kind of work that we do is that for some reason that we do not understand the universe is comprehensible i mean einstein said it best that it is completely incomprehensible that the universe is comprehensible. Mm. Why is it that way? Mm -hmm. Why are we able to take this messy, complicated reality (laughs) and boil it down to a handful of equations? I mean, that's insane, isn't it? It's insane. But yet, our current understanding of the world, and it's been built up for hundreds of years of research and observation and experimentation, is that that is the case. Yeah. That everything that happens in the universe can be boiled down to a handful of equations that are governing everything that takes place. Now, we don't fully have those equations yet, but we are hot on the heels. Is that the
1: unified theory?
0: Unified theory is one way of framing it, yeah. Uh So, So we do have... A candidate for the unified theory. Currently? Currently, yeah, that Einstein sought but never found. We do not know if this unified theory is correct. It is string theory, so that is what our best guess is. I can't imagine how good it'll
1: feel. (laughs) (laughs) I mean,
0: if it was to be proven to be correct?
1: (laughs) I mean, are those mathematical discoveries... That that humanizes it to me the thought of you with some blank paper the thought of you even being you know in college you know what yeah. i mean a young man doing it with yourself and laughing or crying i mean it has to stir you at some point yeah
0: now the best of of theories when you learn them they are kind of an emotional experience. And that's something which is foreign to most people that think about equations and mathematics. Yeah. Because they had an experience in a classroom that was anything but, I mean, it might have been painful, but it wasn't <laughs> the kind of thing that would send shivers up their spine. Right. But when you learn, for instance, let me just make it personal, when I learned the general theory of relativity, it was an emotional experience. Right. I mean, I first learned about this theory in the sense that it existed. I didn't understand it Mm -hmm. from a lecture that Stephen Hawking gave when I was, I think, a sophomore in college. I immediately went to the campus bookstore and I bought a book on general relativity Mm. and I could not understand that book, but I kept it with me and would kind of caress the cover. Now I so deeply wanted to understand what was inside that (laughs) book. You took it to dinner. I did. I mean, it was, it was my date. And, and then finally, when I yeah. was able to learn the subject, I had enough background to stare at these absolutely beautiful equations yeah. that are able to describe the curvature of space and time, that are able to give us an understanding of the Big Bang, that are able to give us insight into nature of black holes, that are able to make predictions about what the universe will be like in the far future. You just mm. sit there in utter awe mm. that this little equation, R mu nu minus a half g mu nu r, 8 pi g over c to the fourth t mu That little equation is able to give us such profound insight into the nature of the cosmos. It's it that does send chills up your spine. Do you
1: remember? Is it like
0: a remember where you were sort of moment? Absolutely. Because because I you know, I was I was taking this course in the general theory of relativity and we were making our way through that very book that I had bought years earlier and wanted to learn. And 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 there there we finally got to the page where Mm. Einstein's field equations were (laughs) were derived and on on the page and it was this amazing moment of of you know, it's it's like summiting Mount Everest Mm -hmm. that you feel like okay. I now see it. Yeah. And, and that's not the end. Then you have to do calculations with it and solve yeah. problems. You know, yeah. So that's really the beginning. But to get to that point of, aha. What, it,
1: what, what, it, what is it like at that point? I'm thinking it almost sounds like a new friend or a dance partner or something that you I- interact with.
0: Yeah. It, it, it sort of feels like this layer of, of, of fabric that has been obscuring the nature of reality <laughs> is slowly peeled back. And you're, look, and you're looking a little bit more deeply.
1: That just sounds like transcendence. That sounds like... uh... In a sense.
0: In a sense. But the wonderful thing about it, and just to come back to what we were talking about before, is it's not... In some metaphysical, woolly, fuzzy sense. You're talking about a very precise mathematical relationship between the curvature of space and time and the amount of matter and energy that is suffusing through it. Mm -hmm. And it's embodied by the equation that I rattled off. And you can use that equation, again, to make predictions for, for instance, how the planet Mercury moves. And this is a great story because when Einstein came up with that equation in 1915, The first thing he did with the equation was to see what it would say about the motion of Mercury. Why? There was a puzzle about Mercury. Its orbit was not following what Newton said it should be doing. It was shifting a little bit. Year by year, nobody could understand it. They started to posit that maybe there was another planet out there called Vulcan that we didn't see that was pulling on Mercury, and that was the why its orbit was doing what it was doing. So Einstein sits down and does the calculation about Mercury's orbit, and he finds that it should be doing... Just what the observation was saying—it was processing in exactly the way that the observations had shown. He said that when he got the answer on the piece of paper, it gave him heart palpitations. Oh my God! For hours and hours. I think he even said for days he had heart palpitations. Yes. Because his equation was explaining this puzzle about Mercury's motion.
1: That's that's fantastic. It, it also. People that listen to the show know I drive everything to sex, but there's something there's something (laughs) sexy about it. Why? Why? I was just watching The Social Network. It's one of my favorite movies. Why is the Zuckerberg character so pleasant? Have you seen it?
0: I did see the film, yeah. There,
1: there's that scene where he gets up he, because he has to leave a class and it's Harvard. And they're trying to be like, oh, your first dropout. Sorry, Mr. Zuckerberg. Far better. Men. Oh, when, he,
0: when he, the teacher asked yes. him some, uh, yeah. He, didn't, uh, he
1: was just asking the class right. and then Zuckerberg turns. And, and he, he rattles of, it off. and he rattles it glow. off. Right, like, remember, fuck you.
0: Right. Exactly. That's just
1: dick measuring. It's just this intellectual right. sort of thing. But it's like, oh, that's just another type of alpha. I'm just another gorilla looking right. at a photograph of a silverback. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 This is my superior. We like this. Right. So there's something very, like, Einstein was doing some sexy shit.
0: Oh, absolutely. And (laughs) Einstein, and because of that, Einstein has become this absolutely mythic character. Yes. And presumably, he has been turned into a legend that perhaps outsizes the man himself. But on the other hand, uh, it does tend to happen. But when you (laughs) think about the fact that... He alone came up with the general theory of relativity. It outperforms any kind of intellectual feat that I've ever encountered or could even imagine. Even a think tank, even a group. It's insane. It's utterly insane that he came up with this deep theory of reality. Yeah. And that he spent 10 years to figure it out and didn't give up. I mean, that's the kind of intellect that, that... just is so rare and that could have gone the other way i mean it could have gotten it wrong it could have gone and it also could have been here's my manifesto from my basement i lost my marriage it, it could have been and in fact the interesting thing is it could have been also a near miss because einstein struggled for 10 years to come up with a the general theory of relativity and he finally got the answer in 1915 but in 1911 or 1912 i think it was he thought he had the mm. answer and he made a prediction. For how starlight should be affected by the the sun. Mm-hmm. Luckily, war intervened and nobody tested that prediction because they would have found it was wrong. Hmm. In the intervening years, he then found an error in his he thinking. Fixed he fixed it. And then by 1919, when it was okay and the war was over people could go out and measure the new prediction that he made they confirmed that prediction mm. but imagine if they would have tested the first one and it came out wrong and then he said oh okay hang on guys You're right i see what i made a mistake here's my new prediction i think people have said oh come on einstein right, we're right, not right, going right. to do it again or god forbid he lost his confidence it doesn't yeah sound that, like that, that's would right have. that's right but he could conceivably, have conceivably yeah
1: conceivably that that sort of idea is so nuts i i think one of the things that fascinates me as a human is most of my life. I'm not going to, sometimes I put this on other people. I spent, I'm going to say, 33 years really just being completely comfortable with being on a planet and not thinking at all about what is out there. And here's this guy in 19... 13, 19, 15. Yeah. not just looking out at the stars that some people like to do, some people don't. I think it, it, it can freak Yeah,
0: that's a funny thing.
1: It can freak you out. Yeah. If you really think about it, I, I have a bit about this. Everybody knows whenever we talk about science, I talk about this bit of mine about being on a planet and I say, when I look at the moon, it freaks me out because I'm like, that's us. Right. The moon looks, t- if we're on the moon, the earth looks like the moon. Yeah, in a you sense, I mean, yeah. we're just floating there. I know it's much bigger right. and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> uh, but like that sort of thing, th- this idea of jumping into the unknown and embracing it and right. then writing theories that give you heart <laughs> palpitations yeah. is some really badass stuff.
0: Yeah, and I understand that there are some people who are frightened by the enormity of the cosmos, by the fact that in comparison to the scales of stars and galaxies we're so absolutely infinitesimal. Mm. And the way I hope that people will think about it is, don't be frightened by that. Don't let that make you feel small. Rather, let that make you feel empowered by the fact that we puny little beings with this little gray blob inside our heads have been able to figure so much out about the universe. I mean, think about the fact that we can make predictions about what the universe was like a fraction of a second after the beginning. We make predictions about how galaxies should form and move. We can make predictions about the black hole in the center of our galaxy and how it should affect stars that are in orbit around it. And these predictions are all borne out by observation. So we may be tiny in comparison to the enormous scales of reality, but our minds yes. have gone out to the very edge of the universe.
1: Nobody was on Mercury predicting the movement of <laughs> That's Einstein. Right.
0: That's right. <laughs> I think Einstein's
1: going to be over there. Yeah. Oh, there's a war. I'll wait. <laughs> that is really, really cool. I, I really love that idea. I, I, like, I, I wonder if these, there's things in comedy that are considered hack. Uh, something that would be a hack question to a comedian is how do you remember all those words? I'm sure you get that doing the speech, the, the speaking you do. Yeah, sure. Uh, and that's just one of those things where you're like, that's kind of the wrong question. If if you know what you want to say and you practice, it, it'll be fine. But I always. Uh, and again, this might be annoying. So the, the universe is expanding. And when people always say that, my mind always jumps to one of those, like, gyroscopic sort of things. And um, then that goes
0: like, well, what's on the other side yeah, of that sure, sort sure. of thing? Is that hack? Is that annoying? It's not hack or annoying. It's a, it's a natural <laughs> question that anybody who thinks deeply about the notion of an expanding universe will bump up against. Yeah. Now, it is a very common question it is one that get asked a lot but I don't think that makes it hack yeah (laughs) I just think it, it it taps into the natural place that your mind goes when you try to extrapolate from your experience in the universe yeah to how the universe as a whole actually behaves. Because look, any object in the universe, if it expands, there is an outside. Mm -hmm. There is a realm into which it is expanding. Like a water balloon. Yeah, so naturally, (laughs) or or even a a regular balloon, right? Yeah, yeah. So you blow air into a regular balloon and the surface stretches inside an environment, inside the room, right? Right, right. So naturally you think, well, if the universe is kind of like the balloon, then what is the room within which it is expanding? Now, the answer to the question is... That extrapolating from experience in the universe to the whole universe can be very misleading. Yeah. So when we talk about the universe expanding, we don't envision it expanding into a pre-existing realm that somehow it didn't occupy earlier and now it is encompassing. Mm. Rather, we are imagining the universe is all of space – and when it expands, it makes the new space, which it then inhabits. The expansion of the universe is the creation of new space. It's like painting your way out of a room. But <laughs> again, even in that sense, the outside would still sort of be there unless somehow the canvas would be there. <laughs> yeah. so, so it's even more deep than that. Yeah. It's that there really is no other space. There is no other outside. The universe is actually just creating more Space of itself of itself.
1: It's reproducing itself. It is.
0: Yes, absolutely. That's a fine way of saying it.
1: Well, the thing that my brain had to do is I had to picture some sort of some sort of feeding into itself where we just realize we've repeated.
0: Yeah, but but even that doesn't, I think, get to the heart of it. The because, problem. The heart of the problem. Because <laughs> you know, it really it is. It really is a It really is this bizarre idea that space, the fabric itself, can stretch. Yeah. So you don't need new fabric. You don't need new realms in that sense because if you stretch the fabric, there's now more fabric. There's more space just from the stretching process itself. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Would you tell the good people
1: uh, at home, I love this thing that you said because I, I, I love how – is lofty a good word? Uh, it depends. I mean it in a good way. Yes, yeah, sure. Lofty, big, grandiose, yeah, yeah, sure. uh, gorgeous. Oh, I love that. Uh, all those things. Uh, <laughs> you can be, but you also have this beautiful artistic sense of humility. And you were telling the story about if the universe is expanding and the idea that in the distant future we would have starless ah, skies. yes. And then our most powerful telescopes wouldn't. Would you tell the people this?
0: Yeah, well, there's a, there's a wonderful fact that we <laughs> learned about in 1998 – through powerful astronomical observations of the cosmos, which showed us that the universe is speeding up in its expansion. That was a huge surprise. We learned in 1929 that the universe is expanding, but everybody thought it would be slowing down over time for the same reason that when you throw a ball up in the air, it goes up slower and slower because gravity pulls it back. I didn't know that. Yeah, when I That one you know. No, I'm not kidding. No, I was like, did. I didn't know that. That's gravity? There you go. So, so the <laughs> thought was that every galaxy pulls on every other galaxy and should slow the expansion of space. But in 1998, these two teams of astronomers who won the Nobel Prize for this result, found that the distant galaxies are rushing away faster and faster. got to give them the prize for Yeah, that, that was a huge, <laughs> <laughs> was a hugely surprising result. But what does it mean? So go to your question. Yeah. If the distant galaxies are rushing away faster and faster, then sooner or later they will actually rush away from us faster than the speed of light. Hmm. Very unfamiliar idea. Most people think nothing can go faster than the speed of light. That's not true. So the distant galaxies can rush away faster than the speed of light which would mean that we can't see them any longer. The light they emit fights a losing battle to Mm. travel from them to us (laughs) where they're traveling away too fast which means that deep space not not locally there'll still be stuff around us but if you look into deep space In the far future, it'll be dark. It'll be black, inky black stillness. We'll think that we are just an island oasis in a universe that is static. You see, the only reason we know that the universe is expanding is because we see the stuff that's rushing away. But once it rushes away so far so fast that we can't see it, we won't even have the diagnostic test to realize that the universe is expanding, which means that astronomers in the very, very far future, assuming that they exist, they'll look out into space and come to the wrong conclusion yes. about reality. Right? They will think that there's nothing out there in the universe is static and unchanging. And
1: they'll have so much evidence for that.
0: Yeah, that's right. And so why
1: would they look back to us with our seemingly biblical? I just mean, yeah, as an yeah, old exactly, book, exactly. Because
0: some people say, "Well, well, come <laughs> on, we'll just you know write it down on a on a piece of paper <laughs> right. or in some iPad, you know, get this information right. to right. these guys that's in the Moses far future." Thinking yeah, with yeah the, right. With the, that's with right. Stone. Stone. Exactly. So, but so exactly that's exactly the point. So the astronomer in the far future when they Look at this statement from the distant past, billions of years in the past, saying that the universe is actually filled with galaxies. You won't see any in the far future because they've all rushed away. It'll just be mythical. Yeah. It'll just be like you know some Greek myth passed down to us because the astronomer in the far future, I think, will trust their own state-of-the-art observations. Sure. They'll trust what they can actually see. Well, and what they see will be wrong. Does that Does that speak to the importance of myth? <laughs> You know, I don't know. I mean, I think myth is important for many reasons. It does naturally raise the question, could we be in the position right now of those future astronomers and uh, of, of, you know, thinking that we have the deep understanding of reality when certain deep features have escaped us for, uh, for some reason or another? It's possible. It's hard for me to see that that would be the case, but I could be just as blind as I'm imagining that future astronomer right. will be. So, so, so yes, there, there, there is something disturbing. About that's that. a
1: universe folding in on itself yeah, right yeah, there. Exactly. That, I that is insane. Yes, I, I think that's so, 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 so interesting. And I, my listeners will know, um, the weirdos listening will know, that I will be trying to find some sort of... Uh, room for religion, room for transrational things, room for myth mm-hmm. in in these things. But we, we can get we can get to yep, that sure.
0: How much do you sleep? Uh, you know, I try to get a reasonable amount of sleep, but now you got the Yeah, you know, I got two two little kids. Oh, okay. They get a pearl. I thought your ideas <laughs> just woke you up. Yeah, no, I I, I kind of am able to turn this stuff off if I'm not right in the middle of a problem or a calculation. Yeah. It is the case if you're truly right in the middle, it is very hard to turn it it's, off.
1: It, it, you're giving yourself to your to your art.
0: And I think I think it's a good thing to be able to turn it off and let the brain just sort of put the stuff in the back burner and... Allow it to sort of fill up places that your conscious mind wouldn't yeah. necessarily take it to.
1: Well, this is life theory. This is the same thing as a comedian. And I don't, I don't mean to force a comparison, but it's like the, the real skill of being a comedian, people are like, oh, you got to be funny. But really you also got to be funny and learn how to compartmentalize that mm. side of yourself – to eight o'clock on Saturday and not have it fuck up your Saturday uh, morning with your wife,
0: you know what I mean? And and not be
1: a distant father in your case or like an aloof weirdo who who only knows how to do open mics.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely the case. I mean, people often ask me, so does your understanding of of physics somehow affect your day to day life? And I would say that for the most part, the answer is not directly. Mm. You know, if I'm with my kids If I'm going to the supermarket, it's just ordinary everyday life. Now, it is the case that I can turn on the physical insight when I want to access it and think about how my walking down the street is affecting how time is elapsing compared to the guy that's sitting there on the stoop. Or I can, you know, as Richard Feynman had the great example of, you know, you look at a rose – And the physicist sees the beauty of the rose like everybody else, but the physicist can actually look deeper and see the cells and the molecules and all the interactions that make the rose red and create the beautiful aroma. So you can look deeper when you want. Right. But the everyday experiences, I think, are quite similar.
1: That's what I try and do when I'm trying not to laugh, actually. Uh, It took me a while to come up with this because I'm always breaking. I love laughing. I like being lighthearted and all that sort of stuff. But I I work with some very, very funny actors and we have a schedule (laughs) that we have to keep. So if you're being hilarious, which you are, actually you're giving me uh, an inordinate –
0: I like that word, yeah.
1: Uh, levels of joy, uh, but if I was <laughs> trying not to laugh, what I think is this is just molecules,
0: <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm well, talking to well, assembled molecules. Well, that's what it is. We are just a bag of particles. You know, this is. I was had a. I was on Colbert once, and I don't know how we got there, but at the very end of the interview, he's saying to me, "So you think that the world is just governed by by mathematics with all your you know highfalutin theories?" And I was like, "It doesn't even take highfalutin theories." I said, "You just have to realize that you are just a bag of particles governed by the laws of physics, right?" And and I had no idea how he was going to respond to that. He just sort of looked at me and then he said, that is a great pickup line.
1: Ah. You know, you know, so so like he pulled it all home. Yeah. Know, so. Well, there's even sex there is, mm. is that I think it, a great pickup line is that the molecules in you have, have been in me and you
0: yeah, know, that's have, right.
1: have been in Christ or Buddha or whoever you want you to say. You can actually
0: calculate that out. See, that's insane. You know, you know, you can calculate how many molecules that were once in the body of Christ I am taking in with every breath. Mm. You can do a calculation and come up with a number i forget what the answer is but <laughs> but i've done this calculation yes it's, it's, it's again that's it's, it's the power of recognizing that the world is governed by physical law right and that physical law allows you to say things that can be weird and unexpected like like mercury like, like mercury yeah. or like breathing in a molecule of christ breathing I mean, in yeah, christ. yes i think that's so great but
1: where uh not but and where are you you know what I mean? Uh, some of the, the ways that I grapple religion and science, uh, which I think are supposed to be together, obviously. I think truth is truth. That's what I'm saying. Whether it's mythological truth, I'm not like a fundamentalist, literal sort of person, but I, I, I enjoy myth. And then I also really, really enjoy science, as I think you can tell by <laughs> tears of joy and <laughs> laughter. Uh, but the idea of like you, Brian, your consciousness, is it just your gray matter? Is that all we're dealing with?
0: I think so. And and some people <laughs> some people are disturbed by that. You know, that's all that it is, man. It's just consciousness and thought Well, what about memories? Like where are your memories? Memories are just a configuration of particles inside my brain. That's yeah. all that it is. And that some people are disturbed by that idea. Yeah. There has to be something more. There has to be some sort of conscious feel beyond the physical body. I don't see any evidence for it. I don't see any need for that. I think consciousness is just the sensation of certain physical processes acting themselves out in this gray blob inside the head. <laughs> that's it. That's all that there is. Did you see the TED Talk of the woman who had a stroke in her right side of her brain? Uh, I know of it, uh, Jill Bolte. I think Jill Bolte. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm. I, I I I think I saw the talk.
1: Really, really good one. Yeah. I really, really liked it. They yeah, had... it's one of the
0: most famous of all yeah. TED Talks. Yeah. Well,
1: that's because. I'm Captain Confirmation Bias. I want to find, even as you're speaking, a way for me to go, there's more. I will tell you that uh, people might note this anecdote as well. We've done 200-some episodes. I only have so many stories. But I had a a, a very mild concussion. Uh, So mild it's embarrassing. But... For three months afterwards, I wasn't able to speak to you in the manner uh, in which I'm speaking mm-hmm. to you right now, meaning I'm not, I'm not able to go into the future and predict what I'm going to say and how you might react and tree graph all these different things. That's, that's what it means to be an okay communicator. I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I, I literally was right on the word that I was saying. Yep. Everything slowed down. It became harder for me to meditate. It became harder to, for me to feel what I consider transcendent, to, be, to really feel present, to feel meditative, all that sort of stuff. And I was – it completely fucked me up. That is – this is my own personal subjective evidence in support of your somewhat grim theory, whereas I would like to believe – Ramdas from your alma mater, yep, talking sure. about the the unification of all things, the idea that we're all that this space between us is not empty. That I am the stars, I am the universe, that I'm the eyes of the universe, witnessing itself. You know, there's a there's a life force. The strings and the quarks want to observe itself, and it creates this reality, all this sort of stuff. But that that isn't necessary.
0: It isn't necessary. But I'd say that they're close cousins to almost all of the sentences that you just said that have the same kind of awe and beauty and wonder. I mean the fact that every molecule, every atom in your body was cooked inside of a star, which then exploded and sent those elements out into the universe and they coalesced into the earth and ultimately into you and your body and your consciousness and your brain. Because if indeed consciousness is just physical processes in that brain, they're being acted out by the particles that were cooked inside of a star. I mean, that's beautiful, right? I mean, that has that same kind that's of transcendent quality, yeah. but it's, our, it's coming from our understanding of physics, not right. from life. La La Land. You can trip out on that. Yes. But is it
1: possible that a visit to La La Land and a visit to your reason? Believe me, I'm a human being and a rational one, I'd like to think. So I understand that reason weighs heavy on the scale. Uh, That those two people, somebody that grows up on an island, I, I don't mean to be obvious here, but grows up on an island, no science, no religion, no nothing, but he does know how to be still. And he equates that to some sort of creator or God or, or philosophy can feel the same sensation that you feel when you really have that deep understanding of the star.
0: I, I think so. I, I you, I would agree with you in the sense that there are many pathways to a sense of communion with the cosmos, if you want to put it that yeah. way. And the way I, as a physicist, find that connection, that communion with the cosmos, is by deep understanding through the laws of physics. And I will grant that someone who approaches reality through other pathways can still have a deep sense of union with all that's out there. Right. So, it, it it's not an either or from that perspective, but it's really critical that the person who is following that other trajectory, be it through meditation or through Buddhism or through any kind of other organized religion recognizes that the approach that they're taking will not give them the ability to make deep predictions about mm-hmm. how the world works. Mm-hmm. That, as far as we know, is the purview of science and physics. It's funny. you're. It's. I feel like you're spending cash and I have a, a decent credit card. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, right. Or, um, or I have money yeah. and you have gold. <laughs> well, I wouldn't put it that way. Because, look, let me give you an example. So my, my brothers, my half-brother, you know, who's a wonderful... Individual, he's a Hari Krishna, mm. and so for 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 many years we've recognized that we have the same interests. We're both interested in the truths of the universe, how the universe began, you know, what it will be like in the far future. So we all, we both have that in common. He's gone his trajectory, I've gone mine. Now there was a time when any time we discovered something in physics, and I would tell him about it, he would say, Ah. We already knew that. That's like Vedic text 14 or something. And it was sort of a funny thing to me. Is he right? Is it really the case? And when I pursued it a little bit more deeply, it was usually the fact that there was some connection between the words, the language that we're using. So in string theory, we talk about vibrations. Mm. And vibrations is a word that crops up in in many places and in some of these sacred texts. But that doesn't mean you can use that version of the story to predict the magnetic moment of the electron that we were talking about (laughs) before to 10 decimal places. So there's a real fundamental difference between the way in which those... words and ideas are embodied in the rigorous language of physics versus how they're embodied in some of these other approaches to finding truth
1: it's so interesting when you say it it makes complete sense to me I, i'm like completely uh on your side in in this regard the hari krishna to me is, is so interesting one of the more interesting faiths to me because they, they seem people that really want to be hungry to experience god some people are happy having uh i'm not condescending this having a, a priest or somebody interpret uh, yes. the scripture for that morning your brother i have to imagine if he's like the 1960s Hare <laughs> yes, krishna, exactly wants to chant wants to have visions, yes. wants to transcend, wants to leave
0: his body. Yes, and that's the way that's the thing that we share. That yeah. we both want to on our own individual power get to truth. Yeah. But from as far as I can tell, the kind of truth that, that I find satisfying, let me put it that way, the kind of truth yeah. that I find can only be found through physical law. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that is your chant. Yes, I. And again, yes, I, I agree. With it. I just yeah. gave. I just painted that compliment of credit versus cash. I, I know that's not quite right, but I. I my my reason and my ration says that you're you're dealing with something so much more tangible, you know what I mean. But you right. both had that dissatisfaction with just accepting things how they are yep. and not exploring it in your own.
0: But, but let me just point out one other thing that which was quite fascinating. So there's a there's a there's a, <laughs> a fellow named Matthew Ricard. I don't know if you know that name. So he's a, a Buddhist monk, mm. and I met him many many years ago, and he has written many books on Buddhism and is an important figure in the Buddhist tradition. For a long time, he would communicate with me to find out what was happening at the cutting edge of physics. Why? He was really interested in having his own Buddhist understanding informed by cutting edge science. Mm. It wasn't either or for him. It was one informing the other.
1: Well, I think there's something, at least... I I can't speak for the world. There's something that happens for me. Somebody that did grow up being like... I was never like a creationist, hardcore, or anything like that. We always were like, evolution seems great, or Big Bang seems great. It was never like that. But uh, I was religious, and now uh, being something else, I don't even know how to put it, spiritually inclined, mystically inclined, but also just kind of like I see and I'm meeting and talking to and discussing with some really, like, I don't know how else to say it, but groovy, believing people, mm-hmm. meaning... Uh, I'm quoting Rob Bell, uh, who's, who's a pastor and just a f- phenomenal one of my good friends and a phenomenal guy. He's a pastor. Well, he was a pastor. He's an author. He talks about science and religion being dance partners, that they're supposed to be together. But religion, even that word makes you dick off, doesn't it? It's just, it's, like, it's a gross word. He,
0: it's not right. It's right. not right. It's not the right term. He just means. Maybe what he means, and I don't mean the words in his mouth or yours, but if he's really speaking to spirituality. Mm this sense that science is not cold, hard facts, but it is something that gives us that sense of union with a larger reality, mm. then, yeah, I would say that spirituality in that sense and science do go hand-hand. They are dance partners.
1: Right. Well, when you say these things, I keep having visions of transcendence. Like, mm. like I don't care if you want to say Hare Krishna over and over. Or if you want to trip out on the fact that you're stardust, it doesn't really matter. Because those feelings, those chemical reactions in your brain, I think we, there has been some science, I've been told, mm. linking those things to empathy, to understanding, to generosity. I could imagine that. I could imagine that, To lowering fear, right. to heightening yeah. so so, so
0: So the human experience of these deep ideas, whether they're scientific ideas, whether they're spiritual ideas, whether they're traditional religious ideas, absolutely we are... All human, in the sense that we are all made up of the same stuff, and therefore we are going to have certain common reactions and 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 common goals for what these kinds of deep ideas will do for us as human beings. Mm-hmm. I, I, I thoroughly agree with that mm-hmm. The distinction that I come back to though again and again is. Science is the one collection of ideas that allows us to make predictions of the world. Love- and in that sense, is this deeper yes. understanding of how things work.
1: You have figured something out about me that I've, at 35, just re- realized I need to hear something about four times. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I don't feel condescended right. to at all. I feel very seen. I need to keep hearing that right. because right. that is really, really beautiful and true. Uh, I, I want to talk about you a little bit personally. Can we talk about one thing sure. that I read that didn't understand but it keeps coming up on this show and I would like you to – I'll get pleasure out of any of those if you think this is interesting, if you think it's garbage there's there's no why am I green lighting whatever you're gonna feel <laughs> see, I'm trying to humanly predict <laughs> based on evidence you right, seem like a nice person uh, anyway, so I remember reading something that i didn't didn't understand a lot of comedy starts that way, uh, and it was the idea of the multiverse, and it was the idea mm. that any it was actually loosely based on uh, electrons moving every path every yes. possible path yes, so when an electron moves. Uh, and we observe it, or when we don't observe it. Don't even begin to explain the Heisenberg thing. Like, how do we know when we're not observing? I don't. I don't even
0: want to know. I'm guessing it's math, uh, and and it's very precise. Okay. There so you. so just 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 so you know, it's not some fuzzy idea. No no, I buy it. Good, good. I quote it good, all the good, time. Good.
1: So the idea that that things are that I'm not even going to try and explain it. I'm just going to jump ahead to what I was. So anytime there's a choice made, yep. two realities respond. I'm sure this is maybe a more popular or popularized thought.
0: Um, well, so so there is an approach to quantum physics that's called the many worlds approach to quantum physics, and it's trying to answer a very deep question that we, frankly, I, I would say we still don't know the answer to, which yes. is this. So do you remember we were talking about before how quantum mechanics injects this probabilistic quality mm-hmm. into our understanding of reality? So take that electron. Let's say there's a 50% probability that'll be over here on the left and a 50% chance that'll it be over here on the right. It's the fact that when we measure the electron, we always find it either on the left or on the right. We never find it sort of half and half in each. Mm -hmm. Each individual observation yields one unique outcome. The question is, what happened to the other possibility? So if you find it on the right, what happens to the possibility that was on the left? Now, some people say it just went away. But that's actually not quite compatible with the equations, the math of quantum physics. So this guy named Hugh Everett, In 1957, Uh he was a graduate student at Princeton. He looked at the math and he said, I'm going to take the math at face value. And the math actually says that what happens when you find the electron on the right is that you are only accessing one part of reality. There's another reality, another universe where there's a version of you, a copy of you in colloquial language, Mm -hmm. which sees the electron on the left. So if there are two possible outcomes – according to this very straightforward interpretation of the equations, there should be two universes. Mm -hmm. In one universe you find the particle on the right and the other you find it on the left. Yes. So you can now take that idea and apply it to any experiment, any feature of reality that the laws of quantum physics say can turn out this way, that way, or another way still. And all of those possibilities, all of those worlds, according to this interpretation, are real.
1: Yes. Okay. Here's where I come in. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) because i started coming up and this is just recreational you're not talking to a nut uh this idea that okay i'm i I got this image in my brain where i was like i'm skiing through different realities yeah and then i was like how do i ensure that i stay in the reality where i don't get hit by a car or i have an aneurysm there's a, a reality if i'm understanding correctly where i do have an aneurysm right now yes right yeah that, that was part of what I read. It was like... That, yeah, that basically, any any things. anything
0: that's compatible with the laws of physics, quantum theory will say has a, a non-zero chance of happening. And we can calculate the chance of it in principle. For yeah. the aneurysm case, it's too complicated. Yeah. That's the only reason we can't do the calculation. That's why we talk about electrons, just to talk about simple systems where yeah. the math is, a, is accessible to us. But yes, anything compatible with the laws of physics, there's a non-zero chance it will happen. And in this many-worlds approach, there is a universe where it does yeah. happen. Now, the thing is nothing in your in your volitional control nothing that you can do will determine whether this you that you consider to be unique will be in one of those worlds or another this process just happens but you would say
1: that you, you're a happy fella, you got a family, you're doing well, you're on Colbert. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're Brian Green. You're you're not the one that didn't that failed the SAT. N- no, it, or I whatever. am. I am. Ah. If these ideas
0: are correct, <laughs> that other Brian Green is every bit me, as this me is me. But you're in this one. So so you are talking to a guy that is in this one right here, but it's not as though five seconds from now, this guy here, who, for instance, could have an aneurysm too, and is having an aneurysm when one of those other... <laughs> that guy having the aneurysm is as much me as this me is me. But not to you. Well, not at this very moment, but five seconds into the future, all of those future versions of me, they are all coming from this dude right here. They are all me. So there's no way that I can say one of them is more me than the other. They're all equally me, according to these ideas. (laughs) <laughs> which which uh, which is which makes them hard to accept. I well,
1: that's, that's where my confirmation bias, hippy-dippy uh, silliness is like, oh, if I'm following my bliss, if I'm being true to my path, if I'm uh, being a loving person or something, you want to think that you're going to have some sort of control. But the truth yeah. is the universe doesn't really favor that.
0: Well, I would even go further. I would say that the whole notion of free will is an illusion. So forgetting about even the many-worlds approach to quantum mechanics, a very exotic and controversial idea, I would just go back to our basic understanding of physics is such that there seems to be no place within that understanding for human intervention, no place within the mathematics for volitional control exerted by a human being. So we, we, we are just governed by the laws of physics, and the laws of physics are dictating everything. So we have the sensation of control, the sensation of free will. Yes. But it's only a sensation. It's nothing more than that. Just like our consciousness. Yes, exactly. So, what do we do with guilt? Well, it depends if you're Jewish, right? <laughs> <So if> you're... <laughs> like me. <laughs> But, um, what do you do with your Jewish guilt? You, yeah, well, you know, it, <laughs> it, 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 see, it's not the case that the lack of free will means that you don't have personal responsibility. Sure. Because if you go to that extreme, you can't live in a society. So you recognize that, yes, you don't have any free will, but nevertheless, you are responsible for any actions that your body plays out.
1: I'm always troubled, though, when we find in the gray matter something that was like, oh, this is why the guy in Texas shot those people, and this is why you were a pedophile, and-
0: That's right, because that seems to shed personal responsibility in favor of some kind of feature of your physical being that you didn't have any control over. But I'd say you don't have control over any of it. In yeah, a because, deep sense, and because, therefore trying to use that as a means of relegating or taking away personal responsibility is, 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 that's is right. pointless.
1: Because you're all diagnosed with having a brain. You yeah, don't need you right. don't need the tumor. That. You already have a huge gray tumor called your brain. That's it's right. not a tumor, a- and and it is governed by the laws of physics. So <laughs> that's
0: that's just how it is.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. You tell your children this stuff.
0: Well, you know, I told my son about. <laughs> We were talking about the sun, and I told them, you know, five billion years from now, the sun's going to swell. It's going to eat up Mercury, Venus. It might even eat up the Earth. But even if it doesn't, everything on Earth is going to be vaporized. We're all going to be turned into steam. I told them... This walking to, to preschool, yeah, you know, I didn't know if he was taking it in, but clearly he did because I got these calls later in the day from these <laughs> parents who were so disturbed that their child came home crying and upset that they were all going to be turned into steam. You know, my son had told them this. You know, you know, so they were he like, forgot- "Keep keep your physics to yourself." There's a like, damn it. He forgot the key component
1: five, five billion, years. Years. Five billion. Yeah, even
0: so, he, it's it's hard for young kids to take in that kind of timescale. So even if you explain. To them, five billion years in year, the future means nothing. Yeah, you know. So you do. Of have course, to, you have to be careful with doling out physical truth to young
1: kids. Yes, yeah. ten minutes at the bank. Yeah, feels That's like right. Five billion that's right.
0: Years. It is five billion. Years.
1: What do we do with all the stuff? Uh, ghosts. And aliens, and uh, if this is boring, we can skip it. Ghost aliens, you know, astral projection, people that leave their body. Or yeah, say they, you, yeah.
0: So, so aliens, sure. I mean, that's compatible with our understanding of old physics. Old Stevie hawks thinks so. That's right, and um, he's even fearful that you know if they come here, that'll be the end of us. So, so, oh, so means, for life means... in the universe, if we just sort of frame it in that language, sure, that's quite reasonable to anticipate that there might be. We have now learned that there are so many planets out there, even in our galaxy. And so many of them likely will have environments similar to that of the Earth. And if that's what it takes for life to spring up, then it's likely that there is life out there. No evidence yet, of course. But, um, well, I guess that's the key thing. People say that there is evidence, and I would say that nothing that we see here on Earth really gives us any evidence that aliens are out there. But I think that there's certainly a chance that they are. But when it comes to other things, like ghosts... Or, you know, remote sensing where you can leave your yeah, body. And say, man yeah, men who stare at Yeah, it seems to me that that stuff is utter Utter nonsense.
1: CIA spends a lot of money looking into it. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> hey, according to a YouTube video, I saw they do. Well, that's, that's, that's good
0: evidence right there. Uh, uh, I need to hang uh, out with more
1: people uh, like you.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, that, that's so fascinating. That actually leads me to something else that uh, I was interested to read about was um, that you are a vegan. Because yes. I actually have a bit about um, uh, what if they're aliens. Uh, I talk about eating uh, sentient beings that feel fear and pain gotcha. because we like them, because we think we're smarter than them. And then the, I, I hope the bit isn't as preachy as it's sounding right now. I try and make it humorous throughout. And then I say, but what if aliens come and they think we're delicious and they're so much smarter than us and they're probably hostile? Yep. And, and then I just say, we're fucked. You're going to look at me, the comedian, in the line for slaughter and- uh, But you, like, you do know right.
0: you do know that Twilight Zone episode. Is there is there one of that? There's a Twilight Zone episode where the aliens come and they give us a book and- we try to decipher the book. It's taken a long time, but we're friendly with the aliens and they've invited us to their planet and many people are going on vacation to the planet and they're enjoying it so much that they're not coming back, but they're sending all these postcards, how wonderful it is. Anyway, a few of the translators stay on this book and they decipher the title. And the title is To Serve Man. Everyone's, oh, fantastic! To Serve Man. And then, you know, finally, people are giving up on deciphering the rest of the book. But one person stays at it. And just as her colleague is about to enter the ship to go off to the alien planet she runs and says, I've deciphered the rest of the book to serve man it's a cookbook <laughs> you know how
1: I know that is as a simpsons reference is that true where it goes uh, uh, they 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 see it's sad I didn't – I saw Clockwork Orange after I saw Simpsons parodying Clockwork Orange so many times that when I saw Clockwork Orange, I thought they were parodying The Simpsons. Yeah, I didn't really. Funny. That is funny. Yeah, that's but that, good. Kronos that's... and Kranos, I believe their names, and uh, they have a book and it says how to cook for humans and then it says how to cook 40 humans, mm. how to cook four forty humans, <laughs> gotcha. all this sort of stuff. So right. it's the same sort of gag. Yeah. But I mean so – I, I, it comes up a lot on the show. I'm interested in relationships. I'm interested in God. I'm interested in science, obviously, and I'm interested in what people are eating mm. because I think that is one of the main ways that we participate with the planet. Yeah, I agree. And you must have spoken about it because it got on your Wikipedia, which is the extent to which I will research you.
0: Sure. Yes. Absolutely. But
1: I, I you know, I think so. I'm also vegan. It's it's a is somewhat new thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. I've, I've been doing it for about a year now. Uh, I eat a lot of raw stuff. I'm about eighty twenty. 20, sometimes better than others. Um, I And I call myself a Fleegan because I always put human experience over, like, really hard-nosed stuff. Like, if a little girl, li- literally a four-year-old girl, a friend of mine, um, she's a friend of my daughter, my friend's daughter, yep. gave me a cookie. And I just take a bite of the cookie that she made because I didn't give a shit that it had eggs in it in that moment. I see. That's why Fleegan. But for the most part, we're looking at a 99% yep. all the time uh i'm interested in how you came about that it said it was a young decision
0: well vegan no vegetarian yes so nine years old my mom made spare ribs yeah and to that point i was a complete city kid grew up in manhattan and meat was just this other thing that came in saran wrap from from the grocery store when she cooked the spare ribs the connection to an animal suddenly became clear to me and i was so grossed out by the notion of eating an animal that I told them I was going to give up right there. And, eating meat right then and there. Now, at that moment, of course, I, I put down the spare ribs and went to this refrigerator and made a salami sandwich. Because, mm. again, I didn't know that salami was right. meat. So my right. parents said, ah, but salami, that's meat. Thinking that, okay, that would get rid of this idea of not eating meat. So I then put down the salami sandwich. Huh. And that was the last meat I ever ate. Did you? Were you aware
1: of a thing, vegetarian? Did you know that was an option? You
0: know, it's an interesting question. I, I, I'm not sure... Sure. But going back to the comment I made before about my brother being a Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna's a vegetarian, and he's a good deal older than I am. He's 13, 14 years older than I am. So Mm. presumably I did through him, but I just don't remember. But it must be in there somehow. There's a very, very adorable YouTube video of like, I'm going to say, he's in a high chair, but he's
1: talking. When do you start talking? Two, three? Three, yeah. Yeah, three. So I, I guess this kid's like about three, four Ford's too old, actually. He's in a high chair. Yeah. Very, very young. Uh, and he... It's a video. I don't know why they were filming him. It's a video of him realizing that he doesn't want to eat. He's, and he's French. Makes it even more adorable. He's like... He's talking about, I don't like when they die. Why? why I like, he says, I like when they're standing. Yeah, That's one of the yes. things he says. Yes. It'll break your heart. Yes. I don't care if you love meat. You'll watch this video and you'll go, and the mom starts crying. She's not, obviously not a vegetarian, but you just see that sort of empathy. And this
0: wasn't like a video made by Peter. It's not a so, Peter video. It's, you know, it's a French. Yeah, I mean, good. and
1: France. France. Good. The most, yeah, I mean, so much right. meat right. and right. so much different ways to no, eat meat. Great. Uh, but then the the dairy, what, what were you going
0: to say? Well, I was going to say, you know, from a young age. So my kids are vegetarian. Yep. And from a young age, I wanted them at one and the same time to make their own choices. But I really did not want them to eat meat. So I was just very upfront about what meat was. Yeah. And when a kid learns that, it's like, why would I eat a chicken? Right. You right. know, why would, I eat, why would I eat a cow?
1: Right. You know? Well, it's always traumatic. You'll see it on the news every once in a while, like a, a semi-hauling pigs breaks open and all these pig carcats, garg- like f- full pigs yeah. fall out. And uh, everybody's on the news talking about how tra- traumatic it was and
0: horrible. And then and, they go, and eat a hamburger. And then they go,
1: yeah, nobody yeah. gives a shit. Right. I actually, I mean, I, I was just at a hippy-dippy school where they had like chickens and they they had a swan and goats and stuff. And I was like, oh my God, this really is a hippy-dippy school. The kids were like playing and they're getting a sense of these are, again, to say sentient yeah. but these are living. Things these are also Earthlings, you know what I mean? Right. And then lunch was served, and it was all of those fucking crazy It's crazy. It's crazy. I, the isn't detachment that crazy? isn't that but crazy. This is this reminds me of what you do for a living, and it also reminds me of what artists do, which is the idea of where is this from? Right. You know what I mean? Yep. I didn't give a shit until and somebody told me one of the reasons why maybe the the vegan talk on this podcast doesn't always resonate because if I had heard this when I was in college, I just wasn't again. I just wasn't ready. Like right. I, like my math teacher probably going into a brain just didn't want it. Yeah. Right. Now I'm 35 and I'm thinking about it a little bit more, but you're nine.
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs> totally. No, I think it does resonate with kids. And then there's a crossover period, I guess, when people just somehow have gotten so used to it that it just seems not to matter. Right. It's like um, gum. Yeah, right. And uh, <laughs> and then what happened to me was I just by chance went to an animal sanctuary in upstate New York when I was a professor at Cornell back in the 1990s and I learned about the dairy industry and I was happy not to know about it but once I learned about it mm. I just couldn't couldn't go back. So I gave <laughs> up <laughs> so I gave up all dairy. Your eyes yeah. just kind of
1: glazed over. You're like, I couldn't
0: go yeah, back. Yeah, the, Horrible stuff. Yeah. I mean, these animals well, they're in, in a commercial, yeah. f- you know, uh, dairy farms are just turned into factories to produce. Yeah. And it's, and it's awful. Yeah. It's
1: absolutely Well, they're on awful. their feet all day. Yeah. They can't do shit. And that, Well, people don't care. I, I, I guess it's interesting the way that you can uh, teach some, somebody anything. You talk about kids and you say it's quite easy, right? I'm gonna tell them that look, that's a cow and this is a hamburger, that's that's where that came from. Right. Kid goes, Got it. But you can also go, This is beef, this isn't cow, this is beef, this is poultry, this isn't right. chicken, you know, mean? Right. all right. that sort of stuff. So it's interesting just how Yeah, totally.
0: We are. And I should say, along the lines of, of what you're indicating, when I encountered vegans when I was a vegetarian but not a vegan, I thought they were goddamn crazy. <laughs> I was like, these people are so extreme. This is ridiculous. You know, so it's it's, yeah. it's so easy to draw the line in one place. Why or is that another. so pleasant? It's so pleasant. Like
1: uh hating on things is one of the joys of life. Yes, I absolutely. honestly think absolutely. it is. And I've I've enjoyed looking. I've had uh, vegans on the show. You can go back. Like I said, it's a relatively new thing. It's a little right. bit less than a year. You can go back and and listen to me and here. You berating <laughs> those.
0: <vegans.
1: laughs> I never would have berated yeah, them, yeah. but I certainly didn't understand. Well, I always saw the logic in it. You know what I mean? But like, it, see, it took I couldn't.
0: Me... I could not see the logic. Yeah. When I remember encountering vegans, you know, thirty, twenty five, thirty years ago. Yeah. It just seemed like these are the people... I put them in the same category of people who would only eat a piece of fruit if it was like... Oh, you know, fruitarian. You know, you know, oh, like, if it had to it, drop. It yeah. you was know, just like insane. <laughs> and I guess right now that that seems insane to me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm clearly drawing the same kind of arbitrary line even now. Well, as a professor, you have to understand it's your it's your livelihood, the idea
1: that you can only move one click Forward at a time, yeah. not even forward, just somewhere. Right, right, <laughs> right. I agree. Well, I, I think that's really, really. I just had a thought. What? what oh, have you tried raw at all? It, yeah, I think raw is interesting. Raw is crazy. Ah! <laughs> you know, <they're>,
0: you know <laughs> in the middle of winter again, it, it's just hard. Yeah. You know? Well, that's why it's the flig. You got to be flig about it. Although, given that cookie story of yours, yeah, I, I would not eat a cookie handed to me By without knowing what was in it. Hmm. So, so I am really strict or
1: you know know, fanatical in some sense the more I think about it I'm like which is the better lesson eating the cookie or just like maybe even telling them I don't eat eggs you know what I mean Or, or whatever it is yeah I don't know, but see that's that's me later. That's sure. going to be me based right. on the intel. <laughs> we can predict <laughs> right. that maybe I won't eat that cookie in the future because right. that might that might actually be a good moment for that. I have no yeah, idea. Yeah, right. it's getting preachy. I don't care. Yeah, the reason I like raw and all I'll say about raw is that uh, vegans don't eat things and raw vegans eat things, meaning. Vegan is to do a a big list of things you don't eat. When I meet a raw vegan, they're like, have you had 40 radishes? You know what I mean? Like, they get really excited about all the things they do eat. Not all vegans,
0: certainly. Yeah. But that that is interesting. But I do all the cooking at home. Really? Yeah, so my wife... Is is vegetarian but not vegan, but she eats vegan. Yeah, because that's you know that's what's happening. You like cooking? I, I do. I love cooking. And you're yeah. a creative
1: guy. You play piano as well. A little bit, not much. Really. You dabble. Yeah. These are left brain things.
0: Right, they always get that mixed? up. I always mix it up too. Do you? Yeah, I do. I really do too. I have no idea.
1: I really do. It's it's <laughs> the other side. Yeah. The One part side, of the-
0: creative side that people like to say, and then sure the rational. But yeah, I don't the- know which which.
1: Well, there's also just the way we're both talky people. I love the way you speak. I think you're a very talented speaker, obviously. And then, like, uh, but then there's also the things like I've gotten in the habit of just playing with cards or, or anything that uses my left hand, hmm. which would put me in my right brain, right? Because everything I do is left brain: gotcha. speaking, engaging, right, communicating. Right, right. Even this is left brain. Yeah. Then you go home. You want to do something that involves your yep. left hand a little bit? Super interesting. Let me look at my notes. How are you doing? I'm good. You feel okay? Yeah. <laughs> here are my notes electron teleporting light what is light wow we've covered your notes well yeah vegan multiverse no stars fire Uh, math oh math stability I was going to ask if you grew up in a tumultuous household
0: no it was pretty stable
1: really yeah and you had a 13
0: year 13 year well see he he, half brother so my father had, had remarried and um so I had two sisters with my father's second wife my mom mm-hmm. um and we didn't have a whole lot of contact with my father's first family so i would see my half-brother now and then but it wasn't like he grew up with what us. about with your dad uh on occasion okay. you, know, you mean stability or no or i just but, mean yeah. did you see him uh yeah so so my dad and i were extremely close um hmm. and he simply you know spent less time with his first son after the divorce interesting yeah
1: I wonder where that, like, that artistic temperament, people know where I'm going with this. We always find that these uh, comedians, musicians, um, it, maybe it's not the case in your field, but we always have the one parent being overloving, usually the mother, and then somebody being distant that helps you want to hmm, get some sort of recognition. Yeah, it
0: definitely wasn't the case. My dad was an extreme, I mean, dad was a composer, so he was a musician, so he was yeah. very much in that space. But he was one of the most loving people that I've ever known. I love you know? him. So, so from that perspective, there's never a sense of uh, aloofness. Or, yeah. Now, at the same time, he was also pretty sad hmm. as an individual because the the field of composing is very hard to succeed. Yeah. So most of what he wrote sat on the shelf. Hmm. And that's a painful life to lead. Mm-hmm. But he never took that out. It never came down in a way that affected, you know, the relationship. Mm -hmm. So I, 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 I respect him enormously for that. I don't know that I would be able to do that.
1: Yeah. well that's like a more extreme version of what we were talking about being able to enjoy a Saturday with your family yes in the midst of of working on your new book or whatever yeah Yeah. is he still living
0: no my dad died uh, 1987 so a long time ago oh wow yeah
1: wow you speak uh, still with a like a present fondness yeah 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 that's wonderful did he um because you know I'm gonna call you successful I hope you feel successful do you have some moments where he got to see some of that stuff not for sentiment I'm just wondering I like those stories yeah
0: not a whole lot you know my dad died just as I was enough to graduate school. Oh, okay, um, but uh, you know, in many ways, I feel that he was far more talented than than I, hmm. and he deserved, I think, this success more, much more than than I do. Uh, and uh, it's just how the world works. Mm,
1: yeah, that's, that's very sweet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we usually end. Uh, we end with God. Uh, we've covered it kind of throughout. You you say you you kind of like this new atheism
0: uh, that leaves some room. I wouldn't even say atheism. I would say more agnostic, right? I mean, I think it is a disservice to science to claim that science has somehow proven that God doesn't exist or can't exist. God could be behind all of this and Mm. just set it up in such a way that we've come to the conclusions and the discoveries that we have. Now, I don't see any need for that. My day-to-day work absolutely doesn't require any of that so from a day-to-day perspective it doesn't matter to me whether God set it up or not I'm just going to try to figure out the laws of physics regardless of how they got there yeah. but that doesn't mean that there isn't uh, some force behind it all even though we don't see any evidence of it
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fantastic and and uh death I, sometimes it comes up uh, with more science-minded people. They they point to the recycling nature of the universe. Yeah, but it doesn't seem to me like you see any recycling of consciousness.
0: Yeah, not you know. It's certainly the case that the matter that we are made of is quite stable. So after we die, it still persists. But it's very hard for me to see how the consciousness that certain collections of particles can yield will, in any way, shape, or form occur again yeah. or occur again on any time scales that matter to to humans.
1: Yeah. Again, you're going to have to understand that this is based on you know, internet research. But there, there are scientists that I've watched very boring talks. I'm not talking about flashy internet videos. Right. I'm talking about old men with with degrees yep. that spend their time going to Malaysia and interviewing dozens and dozens and dozens until you get to hundreds and then you get to thousands of children that have these weird past life experiences. Mm-hmm. Some of them mm-hmm. much more novel, good good fireside discussion sort yep. of stuff where you're like this kid uh, had a, a super exaggerated fear of water and then talked about how he died in water and said that his wife's name was this and then they found the wife and there were these parallels and all that sort of stuff. Huey? Yes. Okay, so you die, Brian Green, and when you die, you you realize that you're floating in some sort of uh, waiting room. Not you, but your essence. Yes. And you know everything, and you feel perfectly connected, and you understand that you elected to go to Earth to learn more and to experience what it would be like to have a human experience. How shocked are you? A billion?
0: Uh, I wouldn't say that I'm shocked at all. I would recognize that based upon what I knew when I was alive... I had views that were the most defensible and <laughs> the views that were based on what, yeah. what we knew. We're done here. You know, so that would <laughs> be it. So I'd, be I'd be thrilled. I'd be thrilled. I want that to be the case. <laughs> <laughs> but it wouldn't make me feel that I'd somehow made a mistake or was somehow yeah, no, blind no. to the truth. I wasn't looking you know? for that sort yeah. of re- yeah. repentance. Yeah. So, so if you just, so if it's just on, the, <laughs> on how I'd feel, I, I'd be absolutely thrilled. I hope you are right, man. I hope that you're right. You're not, but (laughs) I I hope you're right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know. See, that is the Zen. That is the piece right there is going like the evidence that I was presented and the participation, not the apathy, the getting in it, the wrestling, like Jacob, getting in there. And and wrestling and and being an active participant in whatever the fuck all of this yep, is yep. that has to be rewarded, beautiful with beautiful. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't see anything.
0: Sh- I think I think it's the way to live. I don't think there's anything that comes after it. But yes, I think yep. that is a that is the way to live fully.
1: Fucking a. <laughs> 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 Let me just look at this note, and then, I mean, we'll get out of here. I'll ask you one final question. I this is just so great for me. Uh, and uh, everybody's going to love it what are the chances there that re- reality is just repeating on a loop
0: yeah unlikely unlikely yeah. time's
1: not a flat circle mm. you heard it here <laughs> anomalies in science protons electrons we got to that uh, this is from when I was watching your TED talk sure vegan why skiing parents talk to me like your daughter was something I was going to say up top and what is the idea that got you into science we got it man do you cool. remember the hardest time you've ever laughed that's a fun one. We oh on man that.
0: that is such a good question isn't it fun yeah. I recommended
1: at parties. Also, John Hodgman on NPR, he's a friend of mine. Said, "Flight or invisibility? Great cocktail party question."
0: Yeah, yeah. On the, on the I do remember. I was, I, we, when I was ten years old, we went and made a pizza, and and uh, we put so much sauce and cheese. Just the three of us, three kids in the building, <laughs> and we took out the pizza, and it was just this big ocean of sauce and cheese. <laughs> And we didn't know what to do with it. It was inedible. And remember we took it out in the hallway, and we just started having a pizza-throwing fight with this thing. And I remember my friend peed in his pants. Yeah, He's already peed in his pants, you know. So. <laughs>
1: Heaving handfuls yeah, of, of, of just cooked. Just... <laughs> it was cooked? Partially. That's all that it was, man. <laughs> in, a, in a, like, an apartment building. Yes, exactly. In Brooklyn. In, in Manhattan. In yeah. Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's fantastic. Yeah. My, I've told mine so many times, but I just want to say it involves my friend throwing up. Both of them, uh, yeah. and, and same friend, ten years apart.
0: Throwing <laughs> so up is always good for you. A lab. Need yeah, some I sort agree. of
1: involuntary yeah. evacuation. Yeah, I agree at that point. <laughs> and let's do flight or invisibility. Do
0: you? Do you, do you oh, uh, flight. Most, Absolutely, most flight. men say flight. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's the it's the shameful masturbator. Yeah, that, that goes. <laughs> That's right. That it's Some kind of guilt complex. Yeah, yeah. You but want to disappear? You'll get flight. Yeah. Wait a minute. Like you'll think about it later. Yeah, but uh, you're right. Flight. Yeah, you got to go with flight. Yeah, keep keep flying. Keep flying, baby. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we end the show with a very, very stupid thing. First of all, I just want to say this was a, a huge get for me. Thank you for taking Thank the you. time to do fun. it. At whatever you want to plug, we'll we'll get it out there. People are going to love it. This Thank is you. this was the episode was they great. were waiting for. The guest says, uh, "The guest, not me." The catchphrase, which is just "keep it crispy." It doesn't
0: mean anything. Keep it crispy, man. <laughs> 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 Truly sensational. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Brian. Good Thank fun. you so much. <laughs> 850, I'm so crispy, I'm so crispy. My ice can make you haters wanna hear me now leaving nerdist.com